Welcome to the Less True podcast presented by Gulf Food, the largest annual FMB sourcing event in the world. I'm your host, Jeraria Hersey, bringing you compelling stories and insights to a wide range of topics in the food and drinks industry. From farming, behind the scenes, to the culinary world, and to foods we simply love to chew on. In this podcast series, we speak to people, brands, and businesses across the food and drinks spectrum to find out more about why they do what they do and how, in their own way, they're championing change and shifting the future of food and drink. Trust me, there's so much more. So listen to the Less True podcast on our website, gulffood.com, and subscribe to our newsletter for the latest updates in food. Welcome back to another episode of the Less Chew podcast. My name is Jerry Hersey, and today we have an eighth generation farmer, Kylie Magner, joining us. She's the managing director of Magner's Farm, where they produce pasture range eggs, grow vegetables, and keep heritage Oxford, Sandy, and black pigs, kettle, and sheep to enhance and invigorate soil health since 2017. Kylie is a self confessed soil nerd, determined to provide nutritionally nutritionally dense food with high welfare that has positive impact environmentally and socially. Kylie's dedication to sustainable and regenerative farming is well appreciated. And because of that, Kylie was awarded the Breaker in Action Award from the Break Fellowship. Welcome to the show, Kylie. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you very much for having me. I feel very honored um, to be asked to be on your podcast. Thank you. Thank you. So we would like to kick off by hearing about your journey to becoming an advocate for regenerative farming and how you knew this was your life's work. Well, I guess it's probably most of my life I have been involved in farming in one way or another. Uh, I come from a family, a long line of farmers, and I guess my own uh, experience around farming I lived on our family farm until I was 12. Um, my dad passed away. We sold our farm and it had always really been something that I wanted to return to. So I always knew in my heart, no matter where I was in the world, that um, one day I would get to be a farmer. So uh, 2017, my family and I moved back to Ireland. We'd spent a period of time living in Australia and we moved back to Ireland and we had basically been paying off a farm that we never lived on. Uh, the fact that I had four young children, I really wanted to do something that enabled me to be with my children, but also feel like I was being um, usefully, usefully engaged. So I felt if I was employed permanently with someone, I'd be constantly doing school runs and, you know, having a sick child at home or uh, so farming for me has been uh, enabled me to continue working as well as all of the other benefits it brings with it feeding my family learning about different cycles in nature educating my family around food and where it comes from um, I guess even giving the children a business model an example of how business works and the struggles you might face on that journey 
So I think it has really given us so much more than what we bargained for. Beautiful. Listening to more about your work at Magner's Farm and how it's positively influencing the environment. So when we began in 2017, we really wanted to do something that the children could become involved in. So having hens really means that there is a cash flow almost immediately. So your hens begin to lay eggs straight away. So um, the more I read about it, the more I learned about it, the more I realized what an integral part of biodiversity um, birds really are in an environment because really they're the cleaner uppers. They go along after everything else and they tidy up. But the more they do that and the more varied their, their diet, the more nutrient-dense eggs they produce. So in our system of farming, we move the hens regularly. So they live in mobile houses and they move from place to place very regularly. So they have minimal impact on the land. They clean up after any other animals that have been before them in, in that they take away the parasites and they leave this incredibly dense natural fertilizer behind them. So, and of course we get eggs from them, which is another great bonus that happens to also be economically um, viable as a farmer. So I think environmentally, it can often be seen, poultry can often be seen as one of the most highly intensive operations in agriculture, but when it's done in a regenerative fashion, it's one of the most impactful because the hens are giving you such great things, but they're also leaving behind things. And because they're small, they have minimal impact on the land. Um, so uh, I feel like the hens then journeyed us into including other animals on the farm. And we found that once we added or stacked those industries from an economic point of view, the environmental benefits were almost mind blowing. So. We basically were having no inputs. So we don't apply any chemicals. We don't apply any herbicides and we don't have any need for any fertilizer. So basically everything we do on the farm is uh, attempting to capture carbon. Everything we do is about, we're basically carbon farmers. So we're trying to sink as much carbon as possible. So I think it is very powerful. It's, it's kind of uh, the more we learn about it, the more powerful we realise it actually is and the less need we have for any sort of input. So we are trying to create a, a closed bio economy on our farm. You know, it's like a circular bio economy on our farm with as little inputs as possible. Awesome. So for people who don't know, what exactly is regenerative farming and in what ways is it different from conventional farming? I think there are probably multiple definitions of regenerative farming. And I think that some people adapt it for their own needs to suit themselves. My understanding of regenerative agriculture is to follow the cycles of nature. So we are basically aligning ourselves with nature. We're not trying to wrangle her into submission. We're not trying to beat her into submission. We're literally following her lead. So the five 
principles of regenerative agriculture is to always keep the ground covered. So when you see this in nature, there's always an armour on the soil and that protects the soil underneath from um, wind erosion or rain erosion. And even if it's a thistle or something we might consider as a weed, it's still protecting the earth and the underground um, universe that is existing under the soil that we are finding it very hard to actually really scientifically understand. Um, the second thing is diversity. So as with any culture or environment, the more diversity, the more enriching it usually becomes, the environment becomes more enriching. So the more animals we involve in the process, so including herbivores, including omnivores, so that's like cattle and sheep and pigs and hens, the more animals we include, the more diversity. So that encourages more biodiversity. So the more bees, the more flowers, the more varieties of plants that grow, the more cover in the earth. And all of those things add up to giving the environment a really, really beautiful place for it to flourish. So the more diversity, the better the environment better. becomes. And I think, you know, it's kind of like you look at any system in nature, there is no monoculture. There is just, you don't go somewhere in pure nature and see just one thing growing. There's always lots of things happening there if it's untouched and left to do its own thing. It's a bit like a society, I guess, you know, the more diversity, um, the more everything is in balance. Um, the third point is to keep living roots in the soil. So um, living plants capture carbon and they bring it down into the depths of the earth and they keep it stable. So the more living roots, the more living plants, the more carbon they actually capture from the environment around them. And underneath the soil is this incredible highway of scientific giving, taking, passing on nutrients. Um, that's a whole other stratosphere of knowledge, um, which isn't my expertise, but basically the more living roots you have in a soil, the more abundant everything becomes above ground, which means our animals have more to eat, which means the food we then harvest is more nutrient dense. So it's a really beautiful cycle. Um, and that leads me to the fourth point, which is livestock integration. So that means if you're cropping, if you're growing any sort of um, cereal or grain or fruit trees or anything like that, that there is some sort of livestock integration. There is no system in nature that exists without animals. Wherever we look, there are always animals. So whatever our dietary choices may be, livestock are still integral to that operation. So um, the different things that they all bring is amazing the benefits that they give to the soil we can't even comprehend or imagine that we can recreate um, and then the last thing is to minimize soil disturbance so if that's in a um, if that is in a scenario where you are growing crops for food that we don't plow the soil because as I mentioned earlier all of those plants are drawing down carbon into the soil and when you plow it you release them so they come back up into the atmosphere. So all that hard work you did about pulling all the carbon down into the soil, when you plough it, it goes straight back up into the atmosphere again. 
And the other thing then, you go back to point one, always keep soil covered. So if you have a major wind event or a major rain event and the soil isn't covered, it washes away. And then you've got to start the whole cycle over again. All over again. So why is soil health so important? Can you just touch? So again, when we think of it as a cycle, soil health basically indicates the health of the planet. It, It dictates the health of the animals. It dictates the health of the crops that we grow. And when we consume those crops or those animals, whatever our beliefs or our religion are, when we consume that, we are in turn consuming either the health or the non-health of the soil they were grown in. So it's really a big point. It's not just kind of like, why is that so important? It's like the key to human health because... If we are consuming things that are grown in degraded land or haven't been able to pull the nutrients they need to be the best tomato they can be or the best carrot they can be, we are eating empty calories, which means we're eating food, but we're not actually becoming um, uh, nutritionally enriched by that food, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. So the soil health, is actually key to the planet's health. It's key to our health. It's key to our survival as humanity, the soil health. It's that important. You know, I once saw a a sentence which has probably been used in other places as well, but like, you know, soil health isn't rocket science. It's much more complex than that. And it's also more important. It is life or death. Like that's how important it is. A life or death. That's yeah, so I really guess if you, if you consider uh, in terms of regenerative agriculture, what I mentioned earlier, that we are trying to keep a circular bioeconomy on our farm, so no inputs. We're not putting chemicals into the system. Another system, industrial, might be including herbicides, pesticides. So they don't just, they just don't... Um, disappear at the end of that use they go into the soil and they have an impact on the life under the under the ground so they don't just kill what they were meant to kill above the ground they also go down into the ground and I don't know that we can really fully understand how that impacts the life underground sure so what you do in your farm is amazing so what potential does it have does regenerative regenerative farming have to be rolled out on a global scale what are the main barriers to so i think i think the main barriers are really between our own ears okay it's a paradigm shift people have to uh, want to make that change I think that responsibility isn't just on the farmer's shoulders, it's on the consumer's shoulders, it's on government legislation shoulders. Um, Regenerative farming is a funny one because the planet gains, the farmer gains, the soil gains, but sometimes there's no monetary value, as in there's no pesticide or herbicide or none of those companies gain from it. Okay. So I think my message is really that those little pockets of regenerative farmers are 
ensuring a safe food chain because it's basically farmer to consumer. So that is a very short food chain and it's reliable. So um, there's no one in the middle, you know, the truck breaks down so the eggs don't get delivered. It's just like straight from us to the consumer. And then I think that people who are already in the farming sector who look at it and maybe are, you know, hesitant or nervous or feel peer pressure or governmental pressure, you know, my advice to them is start start with a tiny corner of their farm. Just experiment. Use one less chemical. Use one implementation of including livestock in your management techniques. So it can be incremental. It doesn't have to be I'm going to go cold turkey and become a regenerative agriculture yeah. farmer. But I think, too, the more the consumer becomes aware and thinks more about where their food is coming from and how it was grown and that that is just as important as the dietary choices we make it's not I I totally respect vegans vegetarians that they are thinking about what their food is and where it comes from but I think that the question is much broader than that in that we have to think about how was that food grown in what conditions was it grown so my my message to all farmers is, um, you know, to give them the confidence to empower them to make their own decisions, make their own choices. Uh, and, and that's very easy for me to say because I don't know their holistic situation. But yeah. I think if they, they can dip their toe into it, they can have a go. You know, they can start saving a corner and just seeing what happens when they apply the principles because they're so profound and so overwhelmingly abundant that it's almost like magic <laughs> beautiful and would you say the transition is costly to go from degenerative to regenerative or is is it much i think in my own experience it's the opposite it's because less? because we are reducing our amount of inputs so we don't use we don't have a need for chemicals. We don't have a need for pesticides. We don't have a need for um, uh, large machinery. We don't have a need. So there's no um, initial investment. If anything, from other examples I've seen, it's almost like people are selling their equipment and then going into regenerative agriculture or transitioning into regenerative agriculture and then seeing the benefits without the inputs. So okay. my my own experience would be the opposite. It's actually cheaper because you are gradually phasing out the inputs. And the more you do it, the less inputs you need. And then people say, well, that's not going to feed the world. But the thing is that it actually creates its own abundance. So a quarter acre of land that was producing X after five or six years in regenerative ag is now producing four X, you know? Mm. So it's, um, I, I would say it's the opposite. So where, where does the profits come from for a regenerative farm? So I think um, the first thing is really that you are providing a very unique service to your okay. customer. So you are, uh, your customer 
is interested in healing the planet. So they're already, their radar is up and you are producing a nutrient dense food. So I can make that claim and say that a new, a de an egg on a regenerative farm from a hen that lives outside is a lot more nutrient dense than an egg from uh, basically monoculture. And so people will refute that, but there are scientific, there is scientific evidence that proves that micronutrients in eggs are higher from birds raised. So you are already producing a product that is slightly, I'm going to say superior. Okay. And I'm open. I'm open to the debate that will ensue because I know, um, I know that people will say an egg is an egg is an egg, but um, it's not the truth. <laughs> so you're selling a superior product. You are then able to um, command a higher price for that product. But the people buying it, it's like an um, uh, economy of scale. They're eating less of it because they're getting more nutrients from that food. It's nutrient dense. It sustains, it fills people more. So the farmer uh, commands a higher price for that. They're not um, joining the commodity market because they are producing something that in effect is very unique. And I think we can look at it then from an economic standpoint, but we can also look at it from a social, um, the social impact it has on the farmer. Um, mentally producing something that they are incredibly proud of and that they emp are empowered by what that means to them in society because I think farmers carry a lot of uh, weight. They carry a lot of accusations around climate change. And for me as a farmer and being able to say, well, I'm, I'm actually the opposite of that. I'm actually ca capturing more carbon than I can produce. So um, that makes me feel good. And that's hard to quantify because it doesn't have any economic value. Um, my health is, is good because I eat my own produce. I don't have medical bills. So um, I think it's, I think it's a, it's a, it's a tricky question because there mm. are different facets to it. There are different levels. It's not just economic. Okay. And uh, let's just move on to food security, which is a huge uh, at the moment. Is regenerative farming the answer to food security in the growing global population? I think it's integral to food security. I think not only from the farmer's perspective, but the whole idea of regenerative agriculture encourages everybody to be involved in that food security. So whether that's you in an apartment in the middle of a city with a windowsill growing your own tomatoes or um, having a tiny area outside that you can put pot plants into and have three or four different varieties of vegetables because it's all inclusive. It actually encourages people to be involved in it rather than saying, I'm the farmer, I produce the food, you stick to what you know best. I mean, my mentality is like let's all jump on board let's all get involved because that shortens the food supply chain and I think that is the key to um, maintaining food security because when we have lots of people in the middle that takes away the power 
of the people at either end takes away the farmer's power and it takes away the consumer's power. So even if you're reducing your intake by two tomatoes a week, you know, that's a, that's still a good thing because still. you're, yeah, you are, um, you are ensuring your own food security. It's like someone with a backyard keeping a couple of hens, they are ensuring their own food security because when it comes down to the nuts and bolts of it, we, um, we're producing highly nutritious food in this, in this manner. So maybe it's a cultural shift about our consumption to consumers rethinking their consumption, rethinking how they buy food, where they buy it from. I mean, even the indigenous nature of the food that we eat, that we eat more locally based food from, you know, what is native to our environment. And that's not always, you know, that's very simplistic. I understand it's not always, um, the nature, but I think even if we can ask that question, our food security is one step closer to being secure or more yeah, secure. True. So, what would you advise for someone if they want to, con- if they're considering opening a farm business? Three tips that you have. Uh, first one is to be really passionate about what you're doing because you have to believe in it. You have to live that ethos. You have to actually think in your own, you know, up here between the two ears, you have to believe in it. You have to believe that what you are doing is better for the planet, better for the consumer and better for the environment. So I'd say that's the first thing you've really got to be passionate. You've really got to love it. And that doesn't mean that you're an expert or that you know everything because I think, you know, we stop learning when we become our own compost, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like we never stop learning. We learn every single day. Um, The second thing I would say is ask for help, reach out to other people who are already um, succeeding in that space. And I would also suggest that that is relative to your environment. So if you're living in Australia, you reach out to people in Australia or, um, you know, follow people, ask questions. Don't ever think that um, any question is too insignificant or minuscule because that could have been the pivotal point for the person you're asking the question. You know, they say, oh, yeah, listen, that happened to me. I'm going to save you two years of angst. Do this. So, (laughs) yeah, I think uh, it's a really beautiful space. The people that I have met through it are very uh, welcome to share their knowledge with you. So I would then say um, start small. You know, really it can seem so overwhelming and people might be overwhelmed by the whole idea and for some people it might be a massive transition for them. You know, they might be heavily invested in infrastructure and pesticide, chemical, herbicide use already. So I would say to them, start start small, dip your toe in, have a have a little trial, have a sample, see how it feels, how you, you know, how you feel in that space. Because my own experience is it's addictive because the more you do it, the more you see the bounty and the more you want to do of it. I want to start soon. <laughs> If you have a backyard, <laughs> still a department. <laughs> we might plant some seeds when I meet you in Dubai. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. And what do you enjoy the most um, 
of being a farmer? What's the one thing that you're just like, yes? I feel my own connection to nature is the most important thing for me because it's so grounding and uh, the benefits I have had from it, uh, I feel like it's a growth cycle every single day. I feel like I learn something different just by watching nature, by immersing myself in nature, by trying to learn and copy nature rather than see myself as superior to it. I'm just in alignment. I'm trying to align myself with it. And to me, that is a very grounding experience and it is something I am incredibly grateful for because I feel like it's a gift and I uh, I love talking about it. I love getting my hands into it and I love inspiring other people. I love um, watching other people's growth you know, that has come about because of my fascination, my love, the joy I feel when I'm involved in it. So yeah, that's a long winded. I love that. Uh, We can't wait. I'm excited to have you on Golf Food Inspire stage. So what can we expect from your panel discussion at the conference? So I think it's going to be a really interesting panel and I'm really looking forward to being a part of it. I think, um, I think empowering the consumer to understand labeling and maybe delve a little deeper than what they see because clever marketing and clever descriptive terms are easy to produce in an advertising agency. But to really understand more about your food, I feel like you need to understand the chain that it's come from and to respect that it has come from somewhere. It's not coming from the supermarket. It's coming from the cow or it's coming from the chicken or it's coming from the soil. So I think labeling is a very interesting issue. Having had uh, a background in marketing myself and understanding how two people can tell the same occurrence in completely different ends of the spectrum. So my question would be to consumers, which is everybody, right? We all eat, so we're all consumers, is to look beyond the label. And, you know, if you're interested, it doesn't have to be I have to investigate every single thing that's in my basket, but I'm interested where my spinach came from and how it was grown. So... I'm going to follow that path and I'm going to go down it and I'm going to, and then I realize actually someone around the corner from me is growing spinach and I'd love to buy their spinach, you know, and understand, well, spinach is only available in our location for six months of the year. So the rest of the year you need to freeze it or you need to whatever it. Um, And I think that in itself, even if it's one food item that you become, um, you you develop a relationship with that you're like, yeah, this spinach and I, I know exactly where this spinach came from. And then that gives you so much more respect for the food because you think, well, I, I know how hard it was to grow that spinach. So yeah. I'm going to use all of it. I'm not going to waste the spinach because it had a long journey to get to me and I'm going to respect that. <laughs> True. <laughs> I think it's going to be interesting and I really look forward to the challenges of um, other people's perspectives and listening to their own views on labelling. 
Perfect. Um, so thank you so much for joining us, Kylie. Um, if you have any last words for our listeners and where they can follow your journey, please feel free. Uh, well, again, I would just like to thank you very much as the organizers of Gulf Food for bringing people together in this fashion because I really think it's crucial because I think that's where the conversation and the changes really happen when we talk to people who are, you know, coming from a completely different perspective. We can all learn so much from each other. So thank you, Gulf Food, and thanks for the opportunity. Um, so we have a website, magnusfarm.com, and uh, we can be found on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn via um, at Magnus Farm on all of those. And then more about the soil and my own journey, um, soil underscore sister 72. I'm on um, Instagram as soil underscore sister 72. And I really, um, I really welcome any questions, anyone who's beginning their own journey, feel free to contact me, get in touch, drop me a line. I look forward to it. Thank you so much, Kylie, for joining us. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Let's Chew podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I have. And if you did, please share and leave us a review. Bye for now.